Somebody cue Willie Nelson. This is Structured Rambling, a podcast about ideas from literature and about literature. Episodes can focus on a single text or a theme from multiple texts. My name is Paul Sonstaby. Welcome. Hello, fair listeners. It is summer. If you are listening to this right around its publication on uh, July 15th, 2022. And summer, traditionally, is a great time for people to take holidays and to go on road trips. Sadly, road trips have become super duper expensive. They're always expensive, but... uh, Climbing gas prices have made one have to rethink one's intentions of seeing fair and distant lands. I recently had to cancel an intended trip to visit one of my best friends in Vancouver, British Columbia, uh, due to the astronomical cost of fossil fuels. But it got me thinking about classic road trips in classic books. Italo Calvino said, a classic is a book that has never finished saying what it has to say. Reading classics, whether they be the old greats like Ovid or the modern greats like Hemingway, can often be a bit of a crapshoot. What makes a book a classic is varied and often subjective. There are a handful of lucky and special books like say, To Kill a Mockingbird or the Harry Potter series that most sane people enjoy or at least appreciate. But other than whatever else is on that short, nebulous list has lovers and haters, you may appreciate the importance of a book more than you enjoy the book itself. And there's no accounting for the influence of our experience of reading a book, where we are, when we are, what we're doing. It is a flavor that influences our reading and our experience. If you choose to read a book rather than being assigned it or feeling obligated to read it, or if you read it on holiday, you'll have a different experience. Heck, even the physical feel of your edition, the style of the font, even the smell may affect you. Uh, If you are one of those people who is capable of reading e-texts, I am myself not. I tried, and and the the tactile way I flip back and forth through a book is not um, conducive to reading on an e-reader. But there is apparently a French company that has designed a scratch-and-sniff sticker that you can put on your e-reader that smells like old books. It's that important. For example... I hate Moby Dick. I'm not a big Jane Austen fan, but I see why she matters and why others love her. I'm personally obsessed obsessed with J.R.R. Tolkien, but am aware how obsessive his fandom gets, and wanting his fa- they want his fantasy to be more literary than it perhaps merits, although it is good stuff. Today's book is On the Road by Jack Kerouac. 
and it may fall into the category of significant more than good. It's a time capsule book, like The Catcher in the Rye and the poetry of Allen Ginsberg. It's of huge significance to the beginning of the postmodern era. Postmodernism is a playing of styles and narratives uh, that you saw kind of post-World War II. It's confusing the way we refer to what is modern and what is postmodern because after modern is 40 years before I was born, it gets confusing. But anyways, this is an important book to America uh, and it was very significant to the most populous generation ever uh, in their youth, so that helps it out too. There's nothing like having boomer cred. The book was published in 1957, and it's a fictionalized story of Kerouac's own travels across the United States a few summers in the late 1940s, and it's one of the key works sacred to the Beat Generation, the counterculture movement that got its that got itself going um, by the disaffected men returning from World War II, but which really got its muscle from the their kids or younger siblings in the 60s and the hippie and peace movements. This is the beginning of a period that Hunter S. Thompson would lament the ending of in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, another postmodern text, and one that means a lot more to me just for the value of reading it than, than on the road. Uh, in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, Thompson writes, We had all the momentum. We were riding the crest of a high and beautiful wave. So now, less than five years later, you can go on a steep hill in Las Vegas and look west. And with the right kind of eyes, you can almost see the high water mark. That place where the wave finally broke and rolled back. This is one of my favorite passages in literature. Kerouac, for his part, and William S. Burroughs and Allen Ginsberg, maybe didn't know what they were at the front of. They were taking drugs and acting reckless and producing art and resisting the demand after the war that they settle down, live the American dream, and raise the nuclear family. They scratched at the false veneer that the Eisenhowers and the Leave It to Beavers and the, well, the do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-
Sometimes he's with the maniacal Dean Moriarty. Sometimes he hitchhikes. Sometimes they share rides. Sometimes they even have a car. Back and forth, they hit southern regions like Texas. uh, And the final section sees them cross into Mexico, which may as well have been another planet to young Americans at this time. Sal is a writer. He's Kerouac in all but name. And he's enamored with these folks, this beat generation. He, Kerouac himself, gave the name to the beat generation. Most fascinating to Sal and to us is Dean Moriarty, the reckless loser philosopher, pervert, who's always looking for it, some universal platonic ideal. And he offers, often speaks in excited ramblings, with lots of yes, yes, and then falls for every woman he sees, madly in love with her, mm, yes, he'll say, barely containing his lust. He's married three times in this short book, fathers two children, and despite being a misdirected and, and thoughtless quester for his own absent father, he's neither faithful nor useful to the people who love him. Dean's out for kicks, man. Drinking, drugs, jazz, music, fast cars, and lust. Dean is a child. A man-child. And though Sal rarely acts the same, he says that they understood each other on other levels of madness. Every time Dean gets an idea in his head, it must absolutely happen now, yes. And he's always digging some wild figure they see, shouting, blow, man, blow, to the jazz players they watch, and always, yes, yes, followed by almost onomatopoeic throat clearings and wild hmms and haas. I can't help but read Dean Moriarty, voiced by that old DJ, the Wolfman. Blow, man, blow. We've all had a friend like Dean, I think. Sal loves and admires and is drawn to Dean. Deans are free spirits, but they often hurt us and offend us. He makes dumb decisions after dumb decision. He lusts and he breaks hearts. He has children with women and abandons them as surely as his own father abandoned him. Dean hasn't learned that lesson or any other lesson. He's just in life for what I've said and what he says over and over are the kicks. But of course, Sal finds himself excusing Dean, forgiving Dean, but he often wishes Dean were different, more responsible. There's this beautiful beautiful moment on the streets of San Francisco, I think in the second or third summer, second summer, where they bicker briefly, and then they make up. Then touchingly, uh, they bind themselves to each other forever, planning to visit Italy together someday. They never do, because of course, once again, Dean will later betray Sal's trust. Dean's that friend we love but feel we must make excuses for, despite the fact that again and again that friend shows us that he may not deserve our love. Not that Sal is a saint. On every turn of the road, he finds himself oogling women himself, scanning them, assessing them, attempting to seduce them. It seems with Sal, it's always just sex. At the beginning of the book, 
He's newly divorced, living with his aunt, who both he and Dean will mooch off of more than once. As soon as he's on the road that first time, Sal is on the prowl, and in California he attaches himself to a young Latino mother named Terry. They spend days in a hotel room making love, and he attaches himself to her people, migrants living in tents and working the fields, reminiscent of the Jodes and Steinbeck. He finds the work too hard, and eventually he leaves her with her family and her young son. Yes, he does look back at her, and he thinks about her, but not for long. Soon, he's on to other conquests. Sal drinks, gets high, womanizes almost as much as Dean does. I suppose the one difference is he appears to think about it, and sometimes he feels bad, though only for brief spats. Whenever Sal, a writer and really simply an autobiographical Kerouac, whenever he has a moment of stillness, he gets introspective. And though it may not always be lucid, there are some of the best passages of prose in this book. Quote, The air was soft, the stars so fine, the promise of every cobbled alley so great that I thought I was in a dream. At another point, he thinks and considers, quote, I realized these were all snapshots, which our children would look at someday with wonder, thinking their parents had lived smooth, well-ordered lives and got up in the morning to walk proudly on the sidewalks of life, never dreaming the raggedy madness and riot of our actual lives, our actual night of it, the hell of it, the senseless emptiness. Pretty beautiful, really, and as long as you don't examine every single philosophical rambling like this for deep meaning, a lover of good prose will find enough beyond just the narrative's mania to enjoy. At other times, it's still lovely, but fairly nonsensical, poetic, poetic, if not clear. And you can see what a man like Jim Morrison found so compelling about this book. For those hankering for a narrative of direction, for folks who want this road we're on to go somewhere, well, it's not that sort of tale. Their wanderings, their episodes, their moments of fun, the transcendence they feel in a jazz club with Dean shouting, Blow, man, blow. These are people, men, getting their kicks. Sometimes the language and views are very dated. The alcohol and drug usage, and by drug I mean mostly marijuana, is pretty tame by comparison to modern novels. The sex was seen as pornographic in 1957, and now it's just there. But the womanizing is more icky than any explicit description is. Sal's comments on the Hispanics and the blacks he encounters, well, it's dated, if not accidentally, but not meaning to be racist. Homosexuals are not judged when seen, not really in the sense you'd expect, but they're called queers, and one older fellow who gives them a ride is referred to as the fag. None of that is especially cool, but Sal doesn't mean harm, it's just a product of time and age. Still, it doesn't work for you very much now. Most of this novel is episodic, with Sal and most of the time Dean encountering people in situations and responding to them, and then moving on to another one. Most of these really aren't that dramatic or shocking, and a good enough writer could do the same thing with that wild summer road trip you had with some buddies in a Toyota Corolla when you were 21. 
I've had better adventures than most of the ones in here. The trick, of course, is how and when and the way you tell them. Kerak wrote this book in a time where stuffy old narratives with long rambling prose about kings and lords at war were still the majority of what was taught, what was considered literature. Kerouac and Salinger and the like picked up the ball Hemingway and Steinbeck would soon drop and make real books about real people with real problems. Yes, I know Holden Caulfield is pampered, but his issues and his story are believable. The beat generation and the other disenchanted postmoderns that they gave rise to played with our concept of literature. Some weird stuff came out of it, too. But there was an attempt at truth that we owe them so much for, for trying to do, and sometimes succeeding. We owe them that today. The last episode of On the Road is my favorite one, but it's the least true to the novel's quest for it, man. This search that they claim to be making for what is America? An obsession in post-war times. Where was the novel of this vast and diverse and powerful nation, a nation of a dream of equality that would give us jazz and then rock and roll and then hip-hop? But it's also a nation that had nuked Japan and then expected Dad to get back to work, forgetting that he'd, what he'd seen and done at Iwo Jima. The search for the soul of, the Mer- of America is so thick and beaten hippie art, it would inspire Paul Simon, John Fogarty, and, as I said, Hunter S. Thompson. And then the Nixons and the Reagans would remind this too-proud country that maybe it's just about power, America, capitalism, war. It still works. That's how we can have a Top Gun sequel in the year of our Lord 2022. Come on, man. Anyways... No, this last episode of the book is the best because it's the least like the others. It's jettisoned this false purity of the quest. It's just a full embrace of the travelogue genre with no attempt to excuse the hedonism. The boys go to Mexico. And this is Mexico of 1950. Sleepy, traditional, agrarian, impoverished, and yet untouched by Americanization. America had yet to turn it into its personal, exploited playground. It was still strange, still foreign, and in its own way, uncorrupted. The glimpses Kerouac gives of this relaxed, trusting, and giving culture are beautiful. The the boys see how far their money can go here and indulge themselves. They drink cheap beer. They go to a whorehouse. They eat cheap food. They smoke homegrown marijuana. They know nothing about this place and people, and they learn even less, but they show respect for the quiet and a joy for the innocence. They meet completely untouched people that Kerouac lamentably calls, quote, Indians, but how they are so unspoiled, the last of an indigenous unsullied is both sad and beautiful. The boys smoke their freshly cut marijuana, and for the first time in the book, Kerouac spends time on what it actually feels like for them to be stoned. They get drunk in the whorehouse, and you can't help but pity the women, Sal describes. 
The men buy jewelry off children at the side of the road, and they marvel at the amazing heat of this country. Once in Mexico City, Sal gets dysentery, and when he wakes up out of the fog one day, he sees Dean, who he understands is abandoning him. Sal sees Dean's true colors again, and though he doesn't turn his back on Dean for good, like most of the other characters in the book do, he knows now who Dean is. They'll never go to Italy together, never travel the world as brothers. Dean is selfish, a boy, no better than his homeless father. Married three times, divorced twice, leaving a trail of children, he has nothing to do with anything. Dean is, as always, only in life for Dean. There is no climax to this book, but Sal waking up and realizing who Dean truly is is as close as it gets. Dean may be an homage to Kerouac's friend and beat pioneer Neil Cassidy, but the character in this book is a loser, and I have no doubt that some of the outcry against the book came from the emulation of a man who stood against everything that starched 1950s USA represented. But from a literary growth perspective, you learn everything you need to learn about Dean and Sal in the book's first 10 pages, and nothing really changes by the end. On the Road is a book that means a lot to a lot of people, and I don't feel good having criticisms of books like that, except for Moby Dick, which sucks. But other books of their time, like The Great Gatsby or Mockingbird or All Quiet on the Western Front, stand better outside of their time than this one does. For those of us a generation or two removed from Jack Kerouac and Allen Ginsberg and William S. Burroughs and Jim Morrison, it means a lot less. I'm glad I crossed it off my list of classics. But other than that, I'll probably just take The Big Lebowski. But that's just, like, my opinion, man. I want to thank you for listening today. And if you enjoyed my podcast, please feel free to give me a rating and review. Episodes come out at the beginning and middle of pretty much every month. Have a great day.